So I said last week, we will move on to the next message. But then I made a comment. Maybe I'll go through this one more time and recap. And a few of you clapped your hands and gave me a thumbs up. So we're going to call this God's Love Recap. And I don't even know if it's a recap because there's so much more to be said about God's love. But this is the John 3 version of it. And I just want to walk through the points again. And I want to make sure that we have them drilled in. And, and the reason why I knew I had to do this prayer before we started, and the reason I knew that we had to look at this stuff, because it looked like since I started this message, attack has come at me from every direction, you know, and nothing physical or financial. I guess the devil knows I figured that out. So he went for an area that I haven't totally surrendered to God yet. And that's emotional stuff. You know, you know, I'm, I'm real. I put it out there. You know, people know how to say things that hurt my feelings or push my buttons. And, 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 and I, you know, will buy into that stuff sometimes. And I need to just be able to put my feet in, in the sand and say, just as I would say, if I feel sickness coming on my body, I should be able to say to attacks that come at me spiritually or emotionally, I should be able to put my feet in just as deep and go, no, I don't receive sickness. I don't see sorrow. I don't see confusion. I don't receive pain. I don't receive this price paid for my redemption. So if we go back right now to John chapter three, and we're gonna start from the beginning. And this time I'm not gonna, I'm gonna walk through it again. This is my attempt. This is my attempt to do a recap. So, but let's walk through these points. And if you're taking notes and you didn't catch the whole message and you was too lazy to go back and see the first couple of um, parts of this series, hopefully you'll get it all now. Starting at verse one is there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus that night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform these signs that you are doing if God was not with him. Now, quick recap on this. Let's do this. Nicodemus is the Pharisee. Pharisees and, and scribes or Jewish leaders did not receive Jesus as a leader, as a ruler, or as a good rabbi or anything like that. They, could, they perceived him as an enemy, a heretic, and somebody was coming to create a sect to go against their religious order, and they were against him. Um, so the reason Nicodemus came, so watch this. He says to him, I'm going to be born again. I have to go back to my mother's womb. Jesus comes back to him and says, truly, truly, I tell you, no man can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to things of flesh. Your, your reasoning is reasoning, flesh reasoning. But, right? You, um, but things of the spirit give life or birth to things of spirit, right? I want you to see that line one more time and understand it from a very deep perspective. He says, flesh gives birth to the flesh, but the spirit of the, of gives birth to spirit. Listen close. I did this again in, 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 in a little more detail before, but I still want to touch on this. Say gives birth. 
He says, flesh gives birth, right? The things of the flesh. So even if you could go back in your mother's womb and come back out, you still will be flesh. You will not be born again. You'll be born a second time, but you won't be born again. Spirit gives birth to things of the spirit. Are you with me? Nod your head if you're with me. Watch this. The key word I want you to focus on this time that I didn't focus on before was gives birth to. Things of the flesh give birth. Things of the spirit gives birth. What is giving birth? No, I can't hear you, but I just wanted to think for a minute. Giving birth is to give to him at night. Something about what he saw intrigued him enough to know God has to be with this man because the stuff he's doing, none of us, we sit around and we pontificate and, 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 and debate all day and we don't see no moves and miracles. And I need you to understand that if you're looking at the New Testament era, you notice you don't see these Moses and Elijah and Elisha type signs happening for them like they did in days of old. So they got very religious. They got good at having meetings and talk about what says the law and what doesn't say the law and what is right and what is wrong and what you should be stoned for, what you shouldn't be stoned for. I mean, even when we talk about the woman um, caught in adultery, their reaction was bringing her in front of Jesus. Said, OK, so is it all right for us to kill her? And they were really looking for a reason to indict Jesus. But their reaction or their dealing with things was, well, let's just take the law on it. They no longer had the voice of God, the spirit of God, obviously flowing like it used to flow. They didn't understand mercy or anything, um, especially after all the crap they had done. And last but not least, they were under Roman rule. They didn't even have their own land at this point. So they were a mess of a people, a shell of what God had created them and called them to be. They didn't even have power and victory anymore over their enemy like they used to all through the Old Testament. They were in a very, very peculiar spot. And I need you to understand that. Now, with that said, he comes to Jesus at night and he says, because there's something that this guy is doing that has to be from God. And even though it goes against our religious rule and order, we still need, I still need to know. Um, just like you and I would do if we saw somebody doing stuff that was just like miraculous, no matter what somebody else said about them, we were like, well, I need to go find out because this. This, this looks about right to me. So long story short, Nicodemus comes to him at night because he has to avoid his peers or his people knowing that he went to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus replies to him, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, I made this point and I'm going to bring it home again. He asks Jesus, how are you doing these mighty miracles and things you're doing? You must be from God. We've taken this whole chapter and turned it to Jesus talking about going to heaven when you die, right? You must be born again. For God so loved the world, we're going to get there. So that's what this message has been taught forever. But that wasn't the conversation. The conversation was, how are you doing the mighty works you do? You must be from God, even though we don't believe in you. I am curious because I see something that you're doing. And Jesus's response to him is, you must be born again to do what I'm doing. How am I doing these mighty works and these miracles? Because I'm. you got to be born again. Watch what I'm about to say here. 
in order to see the kingdom of God. So I said this before, I'm gonna try to be precise and short with my points because this is a recap. Jesus is answering his question, how do you do the miracles that you do by saying, to see the kingdom of God move, you have to have a born again experience. I wanna submit this and put this on the table. I can see almost everybody here and I think everybody I can see is born again. Well, if this man who was a Pharisee, a very strong religious sect, they didn't even believe in afterlife, is coming to Jesus and saying, how do you do these miracles? And Jesus is explaining it to him, it's you have to be born again. Your perception of life has to be changed from the natural to the supernatural. So when he says you must be born again, he's not talking about saved at this point. Please hear me out. I know I'll get a lot of flack from church leaders that most of them are idiots that will. And I, I'll say it without any apology because he wasn't talking about being saved and born again yet. He wasn't. He was alive. He wasn't dead yet. So there was no accept Jesus as Lord and be saved yet. He hadn't gone to the cross and paid the price for your sins and been raised from the dead that you can call on his name and be saved. That did not yet exist. Do we understand that, church folk? This is Jesus talking. So what he's talking about is the answer to a present question and a present moment, not the future of his resurrection. How did you get saved? Say it out loud, even though I can't hear you. You confessed with your mouth. You believed in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead. Correct? He's not dead yet, nor has he been raised. This is not the question he's answering. If you want to move in the miracles that I move in, and you want to see the kingdom of God come to earth, that's what they saw whenever a miracle of God happened. This is the kingdom of God. This is the movement of God. If you want to see the movement of God, you need a spiritual perspective change. You must be born again. This ain't the church born again that we talk today. It's a whole different picture. I, I, I want to write a book about this because this needs to get out. He said, you can't see the kingdom of God or the movements of God or the miracles of God or the flow of God or the way I flow or I raise the dead and turn water to wine and feed people with two fish and five loaves of bread and 3,000 people. You can't see that unless you are born again. This is Jesus still alive. Just make sure we get this. He comes back and he says, how can a man be born again when he's old? He, he deals with Jesus from the perspective of which he understands. Jesus is giving him a different perspective. Your, your thinking, listen to me, must be born again. Your believing must be born again. Your perception of who God is and how God flows must be changed, must be born again. Nicodemus says, born to me means coming out my mother's womb. I don't know any other definition of born. How can a man be born again unless he goes back into his mother's womb? And surely that ain't going to happen. So what are you talking about? You see the difference in perception here? Jesus is introducing spiritual perceptive of what a born again life is. And when I get to the end, I want you to understand something. What Jesus was offering him was pre-resurrection. What you have is more powerful, and Jesus is offering this then. 
to a man that's not even a follower of his. For a man that he hasn't even died for yet and taken his sins and sat down at the right hand of the father. I just need you to understand, give life to something new is to give new life to something, correct? So he's saying, if you're operating out the things of the flesh, something is born. You may think uh, it's just a happen, it's just a feeling, just that is what he said. No, it's giving birth to something. So when I was sick, God, God, I can't take it. I'm so tired. I'm so weak. I was given birth to weakness. I was given birth to fatigue. I was given birth to frustration. I was given birth to anxiety. It wasn't just feelings. It was living entities that I was given birth to. Spiritual things, he says, give birth, new life to spirit. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am a head above and not beneath. I am the head, not the tail. I am prosperous. Everything I put my hands to prosper. And you speak that and you speak that from that spiritual conviction of being born again and you give birth to it. But I don't see it in my life yet. It's just born. Give it a chance to get up and walk and grow and learn. You got to nurse it. You got to feed it. You got to grow it. You got to let that thing grow until it walks around and talks for itself. You, but you're giving birth to it when you speak to it. Somebody give me a type of amen in the chat or something. You know, you're giving birth to things of the spirit or the flesh. So he says to him, you should be not surprised at me saying this to you. Like he was like, this should be common sense to us. Say, this should be common sense to me. Say, this is common sense to me going forward. I give birth to the things of the spirit and I, and you do. And so watch your mouth, watch your conversation, watch who you hang with and what they speak over you. They're giving birth to something and you don't want to nurse that thing. Things that your family speak over you, things that so-called friends speak over you, they trying to speak birth into your life. And if you become impregnated by what they're giving you, then you're going to give birth to it. Because now you're going to speak it. Hmm. So you should not be surprised I'm saying to you, you must be born again. He said, you shouldn't. Nicodemus, why are you surprised that I'm saying this? You know, and he says it later, which we'll get to. You should not be surprised. Just keep that in your mind. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it came from or where it is going. So is everyone born of the spirit. That means we did a whole big thing on this. The wind of the Holy Spirit goes where it goes. The wind in the world blows over trees, knocks over things, makes the waves, makes creates typhoons. And says, you don't know where it comes from, where it goes, but you see its effect. So should everyone on this call. So should everyone on this Zoom and anyone who watches it later, you should flow like the wind, that there's a power that comes out of you that as you come and go. Think about the thing, the days of Peter and them walking around and their shadow got people healed. Who can explain that? People would come out and lay by the gate knowing when Peter comes in, if I could just let the shadow pass over me, 
they had to position themselves where the sun was and everything because we know the shadow going to come this way. And when he walked through, they probably had people, some of the members test. Come on, walk, some of the friends, come on, walk past me. Let me see where the shadow go. Okay, I'm sitting right here. Powerful. That's moving like the wind of the spirit. Nicodemus comes back again. Verse nine, how can this be? He still doesn't get it. And this is where Jesus said, don't, don't be surprised because I told you to hold it in your mind. Are you Israel's teacher? Jesus said, Jesus, I think Jesus is being a little, a little flippant here. He's being a little smart mouth here. Wait a minute. You, uh, you teach Israel? They let people like you teach? Angie, you're a teacher. I'm sure you've had to say about some people that you've worked with. How did this person wind up being? They let you teach? Right. Jesus is saying, like, how, how did you get your job? Who you know? Like, you're a teacher of Israel? And you don't know this? Like, what kind of idiotic, asinine crap is this that I'm saying to you the basics and you're freaked out by it. Wait a minute. Aren't you of the people that teach the people that come from the people that read the scrolls who knows about the, the Red Sea being parted and people being pulled out of Egypt? And wait, don't remember the frogs and the all right and the, you, you remember all that and all the spoils and pharaohs and the army drowning in the sea. And then I'm telling you, you must be born again, and you say it, how is that possible? Who gave you your license? What books are you even teaching from? Do you even have the books? Because that's what you're supposed to be teaching. You're a teacher of Israel. Who raised you? So he gets these people. How can this be? Jesus said, are you a teacher of Israel? And you do not understand these, I will throw in the word, basic things is what Jesus was saying to him. Truly, I'm telling you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen. But still, you people don't accept our testimony. If I have spoken to you earthly things and you do not believe, how are you going to believe heavenly things? And I make a note on this one again. Jesus just said to him, if I speak to you earthly things and you don't get it, how am I going to explain heavenly things to you? Going back to what he said to him, you must be born again. Spirit moves, flesh moves, flesh gives breath to flesh, spirit gives breath to spirit. He's saying to him, these are earthly concepts and you don't get them. Got it? He's saying to him, you must be born again is an earthly concept. He's saying the spirit moves and gives birth to spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Earthly concepts. The miracles that I'm doing, the way I'm explaining to you they must be done is an earthly concept. It's not that deep. 
How are you a teacher of Israel and don't understand this basic one-on-one belief that healing is from God, that deliverance is from God, that miracles are from God, that provision is from God, that me raising the dead is from God, that me walking on water is from God. How is it giving sight to the blind, healing the lepers, basic one-on-one God stuff? How are you a teacher and not know that? How are you saved for five years and not know that? How are you a Christian and a believer and not know that? How are you in lack in any kind of emotional distress as a believer and not know that? Well, Ms. Bestman said it, what I caught at the end of her report, because she got away from the word. She stopped working out of emotion. She stopped working out of logic. She stopped feeling sorry for herself. That's what I caught. Is that what I heard, right? And she started to function out of a me, 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 me thing. And all of a sudden, there was no word. And all of a sudden, there was all these devils and all these earthly reactions. And she went back and pulled out the word of God's promises of old and reminded herself, or as Bible said, David encouraged himself in the Lord. She encouraged herself. She reminded herself of what God's word was. And redemption came instantly somebody shout hallelujah for me somebody give god a strong amen right here right now i spoke to you earthly things all the stuff he said so far is earthly then he goes on no one who's ever gone into heaven except he who came down from heaven that's the son of man just as moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness so shall the son of man be lifted up. He's talking about his resurrection. They don't know this yet. He's talking about that they raised the cross up on the pole to be healed. He's saying, you're going to, I'm going to take all your sins on me. And let, me, and let me just say this to you. This is just a side journey. This is some little scholarly stuff. Let me help you out. Do you understand about them being bit by snakes and they were dying and they told them to put a serpent on the pole and hold the pole up in the wilderness and, and everybody who looked up to that pole would be healed and live? How many of you know that story from the Old Testament? Okay, well, it's an Old Testament story. Read your Bible. They, there was a time where snakes came into the camp and started biting everybody, and everybody was dying. And they told, Moses was told to put the serpent on a pole and hold the pole up. And the pole, as they looked up to the serpent on the pole, the people would be healed and they would live. And so he's comparing himself now. Jesus is saying, just like the serpent was put up on the pole, he's speaking to him in language. He should understand you're a teacher of Israel. Remember, he just said, wait a minute, aren't you a teacher? And he said, just like that, the son of man will be lifted up. They didn't understand it. I remember when I first read that, I was like, wait a minute. Why are you saying that a serpent on a pole being lifted up when people were being killed represents you, Lord? Why the serpent? The serpent is the devil. Shouldn't it have been a lamb or something? Why was it a serpent? You understand this? I asked that question back in the day. And God gave me a revelation. He showed me something. He said, because when Jesus was on that pole, he represented all the sin of man, which came from the serpent, which came from the devil. So at that moment, he was taking on all the sins of the world. So what was being represented was the serpent. So when he said, just like that serpent was raised, that represents what I will be. They looked at him. They wagged their head. You said you were from God. They didn't see him as the son of man on that pole. They saw him as disease serpent 
forsaken of God, all the sin of mankind on his body. So when people have said, and I don't know if this is true or not, but that the disfigurement that they saw was not just from the whipping, but at the moment that he took all the sin of man and mankind on him, it disfigured him so bad, the scripture says in the New Testament that he didn't even resemble a human being. He took all of our sin. Somebody could shout hallelujah right there. So he said, just like the serpent was raised up, so must the son of man be. They didn't get that at that point. That went right over their head. But he was explaining that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So now he's talking about your life eternal to a person that doesn't believe that. But he's also talking about the principles of power. This is the movement that those who believe in. Now he's telling them, and this is where it comes from. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? That whoever believes on him should not perish and have eternal life. This is all part of the born again experience. Everything he said or the moves that he does. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That whoever believes in him is not condemned. That whoever believes in him is not condemned. That whoever believes in him is not condemned. Somebody shout in a loud voice, I am not condemned. I am not condemned. I don't care if you made a mistake. I don't care if you cussed somebody out. I don't care what you did. God just said to tell you, whoever believes in him, do you believe in him? Then say, then I am not condemned. Amen. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. You're already condemned. Because you have not believed the name of God and the and God's one only son. And this is where we brought it home. And this is the verdict. This is the final judgment. This is where we bring it home. The light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light. For their deeds were evil. Let me just touch on this again. God so loved the world that he came to restore to you that which was given to you in the beginning, in the garden, relationship with God, wholeness, holiness, all of that. He so loved the world, not for you to be born again and quote unquote saved from that. I'm going to go to the, 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 um, the um, concordance again, one more time. And I'm going to read this one more time because I want to not leave this out. This to me was one of the most important parts of this, this message. Hmm. Scriptures change. I'm like saying, wait, where's my verse? Six. There we go. And I want you to keep this in mind as we're studying this.
Jesus got very frustrated with them so many times because they just couldn't see beyond what they had become. as a people. I want you to take this with you. I, I, I saw Jesus' frustration. I can relate to it because I could see how he could be frustrated with me and my stupidity and my nonsense and the stuff that I go through. But I got a different understanding. You and I did not see what the ancestors of these people saw. They had books written. They knew about the miracles. They knew about the deliverances. They knew about the supernatural, the, 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 the walls of Jericho falling. You know, just these mighty, mighty victories they had. But I'm gonna tell you what the church of that time or the people of that time, the Israel of that time had done. And I want you to check this against yourself. They knew Messiah was coming. But based on them not being a part of the word anymore or really studying the word, which they never really, you know, they always were in and out. If you read the book of Kings. I'm just being a teacher right now. You read the book of Kings, you'll see that you have this one king that he followed and served God in his whole house. In his whole house. And then for generations and generations, their sons and stuff, idols, didn't serve God, walked away from God, didn't even live nothing like God. Then one other king would pop up generations later of sin and, 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 and rebellion against God. And this one would rise up. But they were split into 12 tribes. So just because this one king rose up and he was leading the tribe that he was over in righteousness and godliness, that doesn't mean that the rest of God's people were not still following idols and doing whatever they wanted to do. There was never a time when all the people of God obeyed his word, followed him and did what he said. Never a period of time. They're now at a place where they're barren. They're under a rule of a government that is worse than what they had in Egypt. In Egypt, they were slaves. They forced them to hard labor. They're now under a government that's sadistic. They're killing them. They're throwing them in lion's dens. They're doing all kind of, you know, Colosseum. They're just doing just, just horrible, horrible things. They painted this picture of Jesus as he's going to come in riding on a horse. He's going to be powerful. He's going to have lightning in one hand. And, and thunder in the other and just wave his hand and wipe everybody out and give them the victories of old. They thought that the move of God when he came, when Jesus came or the, the Messiah came is who they called him, that he was going to come through and just wipe the Roman government out and put them on top and make them in charge. I need you to understand this because it's a very important point. Jesus didn't come like that. He came meek, he came humble, he came submitted, he came not rich. And then he, then he has the nerve to ride in on a donkey of all things, not 
you know, in glory and splendor like they pictured him. So their problem with him was you're supposed to be coming and telling us that we got victory. Let's go kill all the Romans and take back our land and be in charge. And you saying, bless those who curse you, praise those who spitefully use you. What kind of bull crap is this? What, what is this mess that you are talking? But what Jesus is saying is, I need you to do and I need you to be, which he says in, in, in Mark 11, what you haven't been, what you're asking for from God, I want you to first sow that. I want you to be forgiven. I want you to have mercy. I want you to bless those who curse you because you guys have cursed me for centuries. And you want me to bless you when you've been cursing you and you want me to um, you despitefully used me, but you want me to put you back up on top when you haven't done it yourself. So what you're asking for, I'm asking you to sow. Bless those that curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. you. Just call on me and pray to me when you want stuff and need stuff, but you don't love or serve me. You say you love me with your mouth, bless me with your mouth, with your heart is far from me. So God is saying to them, do what you're asking me to do. So let's go back to where we are. 316. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have so everlasting, have everlasting life. 17. For God sent his son in the world not to condemn, but that the world through him might be saved. And so God sent his son into the world, say, I'm not condemned again, but he sent his son that I might be saved. So let's do this one more time. And it's a good place to wrap it up. God came into the world. He sent his son into the world that you won't be condemned, but that you would be saved. That's right, so I go to heaven when I die and he give me the strength to put up with this rough, tough, horrible world. I'm just gonna hold on and take the punishment, let people treat me however they want. Because when I leave this planet, it's gonna be beautiful in heaven. Okay, well that's true. But he said he sent his son into the world that through him you may be saved. How many you saved right now? Let's see. Saved. We did this a couple of weeks ago. Sozo. The definition. To be kept safe and sound, rescued from danger or destruction. Are you still saved? To protect one from injury or peril. Let me see. Let, 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 me, let me do this one at a time. That he sent his son in the world not to condemn them, that the world should be safe and sound and rescued from danger or destruction, whoever believed. That whoever believed will be saved and protected from injury or peril. That whoever believed will be saved from suffering, from perishing, one suffering from disease. That he came, that 
He will make you well. He came that you will be healed, that you will be restored to health. God's son came in the world that you should not be that you should not perish, but whoever believed in him will be delivered from suffering from disease and made well. He came into the world that you may not to condemn you, that, that you may be healed and restored to health. Are we still saved? He came, not that you can be condemned, but that he preserve you who is in danger of destruction and save you and rescue you. I'm reading this out to King James. This is the, this is the Greek translation of the word saved. To save you from technical and technical and biblical sense, to deliver you from negativity. I said, God, I have not been walking out to save men. I've been attacked by all kinds of negativity in the past year or so. And I, I have not even claimed it as my right that I am healed from that. Let me, let me before I read the rest of these, because there's more. When you say I'm saved, you are saved for more than eternal death. You are saved from everything he came to save you from. And there are things that the demonic church has taught us is our lot in life as Christians that I'm showing you from Jesus's word that is not true. And I'm waiting for somebody else to preach this and say it. This is what the word is saying. You, the word saved, I'm taking this one word and I'm reading sozo to save you from negativity, to deliver you from penalties of messianic judgment, meaning going to hell when you die. That's in there, but it's part of a whole description and it's down the list. To save from the evils which obstruct the reception of messianic deliverance. And I want to beat this one in. I came in the world not to condemn you, but that through me you may be saved. It says to, to save you from the evils which obstruct you from being saved. I read it the way it's written. To save you from the evils which obstruct the reception of messianic deliverance. I came also to save you from things that will try to stop you from being saved. I don't know about you, but I want complete salvation from this day forward. So I'm going to read those again. Would you like me to read those again? I'm going to read those again. And you could take note if you want. But this is what he came to do. He came to save me and keep me safe and sound and, and rescue me from destruction. He so loved the world that he came to save me from perishing, from suffering from disease, to make me well, to heal me, to restore me to health. Isn't this what Jesus did when he walked the earth? You think after he gave his life, he stopped that? That was his commission, to give sight to the blind, to heal the sick. To restore you, be, he said to the woman who touched the hem of his garment, your faith has made you whole, healed and whole. All of this is mine. That was just description number one, by the way. Number two, to preserve you from danger or destruction, to save you and rescue you. To save in the technical, biblical sense and to save you from negativity to deliver you from the penalties of messianic judgment, to save you from the evils which obstruct the reception of messianic judgment. These are all yours now. I don't want 
to prevent the Lord from procuring everything he died for me to have. I'm going to leave on this note, but this is a good place to bring it home. How can we believe for faith to save others when we don't usually believe for faith to save ourselves? I'm using the word save in its entirety right here. How can we believe when we pray and lay hands on God to be delivered to sick from people from the sick or from dying when we don't even believe that that really belongs to us? How are you going to give what you don't have? If somebody come up to you in the street now and say, yo, brother, can you spare some change? Can you loan me a dollar? Even if you have a heart and love to want to help people, you know, what we usually say right now, I got cards, bro. I ain't got no cash in my pocket. I can't give you a dollar unless you got a, a, a something I can swipe. I can't help you. Listen to what I'm saying to you. How can you dispense healing if you don't have it? How can you deliver from danger if you don't have it? You ain't walking around with that on you. You walking around with eternal life when you die. So that's what you got to offer people. But if you trust in Jesus, you can save your soul when you die and you leave this planet. Okay, but I, I need to eat right now. You telling me to be warmed and filled. You ain't giving me nothing. I'm saying to you right now, the church is becoming a joke and a laughing stock, me included, because all of these promises, this so-so, I want you to burn that word in your spirit. This so-so, so-so, we don't have it. We're not giving it. We have it, but we're not, we're, thank you, Lord. We don't have it because we haven't claimed it. And so we're not dispensing it. And if we were walking around, are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? If we were walking around Nicodemus-like saying, how do you do these things? And we were doing what Jesus told us to do and greater work shall you do. We wouldn't have to try to convince people to get saved. They would get saved in droves. They would chase you around. They would bring their relatives to your house to get saved or stop you on your way to work and say, listen, the boss will say to you, look, I don't want you to do nothing here but pray for this company. We're going to promote you just as the prayer warrior because you pray and stuff get done. And if they saw that, they would come to you and say, how are you doing these things that you're doing? There's no way you can do this except you be from God. And then you can say to them, you must be born again. And they're like, all right, what, 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 what does that mean? How do I do that? Lead me to this born again thing because I want to do what you do. Power is yours, saints. It's been given to you freely, been given to me. It's been given to me, been given to you. You have the power to do these things. Say, I have the power to walk in all of my deliverance in the fullness of my salvation. You're saved. You're healed. You're whole. You're delivered. Not someday. Jesus died on that day for me that I might be saved. Well, my God, forgive me for not walking in, in salvation or being saved. Forgive me for not living saved. Forgive me for not carrying myself saved. Forgive me for pushing your blessing that you paid for me to have today off into some afterlife. 
I need all of this and I need this all now. And I'm going to just read the last one again because it's so powerful. Because the devil is always trying to convince you you're not saved or you lost your salvation or God ain't pleased with you. Whoever believed in him will be saved from the evils which obstruct you from the reception of being saved. So even God put something in there in your salvation. He put a, a, a prevention there to keep it, you from losing it. If you just claim it, it's yours to have. I hope this was a good wrap up. I pray that this was a good summarization of the whole thing. Father, I pray that we never forget the word sozo. It follows us every day of our lives, everything we do, every decision we make, everywhere we go. We are redeemed because your word says so. And I thank you, Lord, right now for sozo. I remember when you gave me the word yada. And that was many, many years ago. And I recently heard people preach on yada. And now you're giving me the sozo. And I'm praying, Lord God, that the whole body gets an awakening to sozo. If you need to send me out there and put me out there in front of the world to teach it, I'll go. But Lord, I'm praying for this sozo. For everybody on this meeting right now and everybody who watches this. I'm praying for, for myself that I truly accept what you came to give me. That I may be not condemned but that I may be souls of, that I may be souls of in every area of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.